All right, I will say good morning. Let's uh, let's begin. So we left off. We left off yesterday. Still shkall. Still shkall. We left. We left off yesterday on Dalit Amud Beis. Actually, by the two dots. Ha'achin shutfin. So if you remember again, the Mishnah. If you remember again, the Mishnah made the statement about brothers who inherited an estate and how Lemaisa, again, depending on the nature of their relationship, would impact Meiser Behima versus and Kalbon. So the so the Gemara quotes over here, Achen Vahashutfin, Shechayovin Bekalbon, Upiturmi Meiser Behima. So there are two cases. The cases are brothers who are partners, which means they're partners in the estate, who are chayiv in kalbon. Remember, kalbon is our additional amount that are paying with the half shekel that we spoke about yesterday. But yet they would be exempt from meiser behima on the estate's flock. Now, how would that happen? There would be a situation where they divided the estate. That would be a case of where they dissolved the estate, and then what? And then reconstituted a new partnership. Now, I will say, look, look at the Tiklin Charitin for just a moment. So it's all the way, bless you, on the left-hand side, on the left-hand side, on the Tiklin Charitin, uh, five lines up from the bottom. So in this case, again, I will say, so they inherited an estate. Now, you have to understand something. An inherited estate by itself, when the brothers first inherited, is not considered like a partnership. It's actually in halacha considered to be like its own entity, which the truth is, I, I think it's true in, in, in legal terms as well. There's a concept of an estate in probate, which, which means, again, that before everyone figures out exactly what it is that's theirs, there's an estate, and then everybody has to claim their parts. In halacha, a father dies. Again, using, using our simple case from yesterday, where let's say the oldest child is a sister. So biblically, again, she's not involved in an Inheritance, two younger brothers, they're going to share it 50-50. They're going to share it. They have to support their sister, but they're going to share the estate 50-50. So when they first inherit it, they each have ownership in every little thing. So everything is, is, is joined. Then at some point in time, they actually divide the estate. And then the, the Gemara's case over here is where they then choose to forge a partnership again. So Tiklin Chalitin says, asim In that case, they're chayv and kalbon. The kishachalku the Because again, when they split the estate, and then let's say the, one of them were to contribute a sella. Sella, remember, is made up of, 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 a, of a two shekel on behalf of both of them. It's as if they're borrowing, they're lending to each other. So they'll be chayiv in Kabul. They'll be chayiv in Kabul because even if one brother goes ahead and contributes on behalf of the other, that, that is considered as if he's loaning the other brother a half a shekel, which we discussed yesterday, is still chayiv in Kabul. But yet again, they'll be potter from Maiser Behema. Why? The Eder shall shoot him. So this is very interesting because the halacha by Maiser Behema is jointly owned animals are exempt from Maiser Behema. And again, he quotes the pasuk over here, Desayim Bebechoros, Kol Peter Shegar Behema Asher Yihyeh Lecha. 
that when the Torah sees a Meister, Behemoth phrases it in the singular, that which belongs to you. So the Gemara learns out that any animal that's jointly owned is potter from Meister Behemoth. So therefore, again, because they reconstituted the partnership, therefore, Lemaisa, Yechayv and Kalbon, potter from Meister Behemoth. Back up top. Back, I mean, not up top, but back to the Gemara. Shechayav and Meister Behemoth, what's the case of where the Chayv and Meister Behemoth and potter from Kalbon? That's the case of both say where what? Where they did not go ahead and divide the estate. So therefore they are still in this, they are still in this state of joint partnership. Still in the state of joint partnership. So they Correct. So Lamaisa, again, because the estate, the undivided estate has the identity of one entity, and therefore it's Chayven Maeser Behema, but it's part from Kalbon, because Lamaisa, again, neither is, contribu- is neither is viewed as contributing a personal seller. So the Gemara goes weiter. Amar Rabbi, Amar Rabbi Lazer, excuse me, Rabbi Lazer said, Now, Rabbi Lazer is going to qualify which case this is true in. This is only true if what? If when they divide the estate, so one brother gets the kids and another brother gets the rams. Right? Meaning that literally they're dividing it in such a way where each one is getting something separate. That's a clear division and a clear dissolution. The word dissolution, dissolution of the original estate, and then reconstituting of a new partnership. However, but if literally, but if they're sharing in everything, it's just an expression. If they're sharing in everything, meaning they're either they're being mechalik in every single thing, then he chelko misha harishona. So also, this is very interesting. In that case where they share everything, then that type of that type of split or that type of, that type of um, that type of division ultimately is considered to be a retroactive clarification of what the estate originally was. So it's actually interesting. If you take a look at the last Tiklin Charetin, Avalim Chalku, because if they're literally splitting everything, everything 50-50, that's how Yerusha works. Technical biblical Yerusha means, as you said before, that everybody has a chilek in everything. We would say that's retroactively clarified that that indeed was the Breira portion. Therefore, they don't have the status of partners, they have the status of inheritors. And therefore, when they go ahead and they join forces again, this is not considered to be a reconstituting of the partnership, but rather, again, this is what? This is ultimately just a clarification of the original estate. And therefore, Lamaisa, what that would mean practically, would be that they'd be chayiv in Maiser Vehema and Pater from Kalbom. Rabbi Yochanan says, no, not true. Even if they went ahead and they shared in everything, that's what it means. Literally, they, they literally means they split up the kids against the kids, the animal kids, not, not the real. Split up the kids against the kids and the rams against rams. What that means is they're sharing in everything. Even Rabbi Yochanan still says, Excuse me. Rabbi Yochanan says that they are considered to be literally like purchasers, and therefore, if they were to reconstitute the partnership, excuse me, they're considered to be like purchasers from one another, and therefore, the animals are exempted from meiser. Kiahu ditaninan kamon, as we learned later on, halakuach. 
This is an untithed animal that was purchased, or an untithed animal that was given as a gift, Potter mi meister behema. So we'll say these types of animals are exempted from meister behema. So Rabbi Yochanan is taking this even a step further. Rabbi Yochanan says that even when they divide up the estate, so lemaisa again neither is chayiv to tithe their animals because lemaisa again when you purchase an untithed animal, that animal is exempted from future tithing. Rabbi Chia, last two lines dalad amud beis. Rabbi Chia, Rabbi Chia am Rabbi Yirmiya boy velama less nan amrin. Why don't we say? There are times in this type of situation, this estate type of situation, where you'll be chayiv in both kalbon as well as maizeh behema, top of hemadal for bosai, and there are other times where you'll be exempted from both of these things. Skip rabosai the parentheses. So you're going to skip the last word on the first line, second line, third line, and first three words of the fourth line. Chalk, so what, what would be the case? If you split up the property and did not split up the animals, did not split up the animals, so then what's ta'alacha? You will be chayiv in both kalbon as well as as well as meister behema. Both I look at the tiklin chanatin. You see tiklin chanatin over there. He's sandwiched. He's actually he's not sandwiched. He's on the right hand side beneath the the carbonaida and the river van. So look at the second one in Helchi Garcinon. If they split up. Uh, he actually, I'm sorry, this is the next one. Excuse me, excuse me. So let's go back a little bit. So if you went ahead and you, so according to the first, no, I'm sorry, I read two lines. Let, let's go back for one second in the Gemara. Fourth line down from the top, Hey Madalif. Let's read these cases again. If they split up the property and did not go ahead and split up the animals, this is in the estate, there'll be a chiyah for both kalbon as well as maizer behemah. On the other hand, if they split up the animals but did not split up the property, then they'll be exempt. Now look at the Tiklin Charetin. says Tiklin Charetin, it's on the first line where it says, Because since they're splitting up the livestock of the estate, and they go ahead and they reconstitute a partnership. So that we understand, in a situation where they divide up the animals of the estate amongst themselves and then reconstitute a partnership, we've already established that point. If there's one thing you're going to walk away with is that jointly owned animals are exempt from Meiser Behema. So that's, that's an easy one. So we'll say again, and if they didn't split up the rest of the property, then there's no obligation of kalbon because again, lemaisa that's still called the state property and not personal property. So technically speaking, if you were to take a shekel from that estate and go ahead and give it on behalf of the two brothers, that would not be subject to kalbon because only a shekel that comes from an individual, not an estate, is chayiv in kalbon. The Hakamash Malon, the Amirin in the Tiklin Khalatin still. The Hakamash on the Sakaret Hamino, the Lonoko Kulihai, the Haven the Halku Art. Actually, we don't have to do the rest. Fine. So the Gemara says the following Amurab Mono. 
Hada da'at amar behema rov. So when do we make this distinction? So Ross, I see what the Gemara just did before, and is the Gemara made a distinction between splitting up animals and splitting up property. So when do they make these types of distinctions? That's only if livestock is not the majority of the estate. Aval im haisa rov. But if the animals are in fact the majority of the estate, hein hein iker then the reality is, see, also here's another interesting just idea in a state law. So, which is that, well, th- we don't necessarily accept this halacha lamaisa, but for these purposes, it meaning if the livestock is the majority of the estate, then we don't look at splitting up of the property and splitting up of the animals, but rather we solely focus on the animals, because ultimately the division of the animals is considered to be a division of the estate. Rabbi Abin Amar Absimi, so we'll say now these other opinions come along and say, I don't understand. Because you made them like one person, i.e. that because it's a partnership, and you exempted them by Maister Behema, therefore you have to exempt them from Kalbon as well. So the Gemara says, look at, look at, look at the Tiklin Charitin. Reb Simi Boi, Amas Nisin Parich, the Ka'amar Lo Chalku Peturim Mina Kalbon. So remember, we said before that Lamaisa, if they did not divide up the estate, then they parted from Kalbon. Amarle Lo Shanya, are they not different? Lo Shanyahi, Shehu Nosin Sela Echad Shelema. Because ultimately, what's happening over here? They are really like strangers who entered into a partnership and the, the original state is not put back together. That's why well, actually, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later on. This, what he's saying over here is, he says, ultimately means they're going ahead and they're giving one seller from an undivided estate. So when you give one seller from an undivided estate, yes, the Allah is going to be that you're not going to be subject to Kalbon because Kalbon is a personal tax that is levied against the half shekel. But if the origin of the half shekel is not an individual, but it's in a state, there's no kalbon. If that's the case, then lemaisa, then lemaisa, even in a situation of where, even in a situation of where they split up the estate, then they reconstituted a new partnership. They should be chayiv in meiser behema and pater from kalbon. Stigmar says utaninon chayovin bekalbon upater meiser behema. But we know in fact that that's not true. In a situation where the meiser and I'll say this is the bottom line. The bottom line is that halacha lemaiser when two brothers. And I'm just seeing the case of two brothers because it's just easy for illustration purposes. But it's even more siblings. Two brothers inherit an estate. So lemaiser again in the inherited in the inherited form. The livestock is subject to meiser behema, but the half shekel is not subject to to kalbon. When they split up their estate. Again, there are two possibilities when you split up an estate as to what could happen. Possibility number one is what? Each brother goes his own way. And if each brother goes his own way, that, that case is easy. Because then you're chayven kalbon. And what? And you're chayven meister behema. But if they choose to go, because again, remember, you're, because kalbon, here's what it comes down to. The common denominator between kalbon and meister behema is that both are only applicable when you're talking about an individual. When you have joint property or property belonging to an estate, 
sometimes they're not always applicable. So again, let's just discuss the three, quickly the three cases. Case number one is when father dies, brothers inherit the estate. Undivided estate is considered to be in halacha like a separate entity. Chayiv and Meister Behemoth, but pater from Kalbon. Brothers divide the estate. Two possibilities. If they each go their own way, then each brother is subject to Kalbon and subject to Meister Behemoth. If they choose to reconstitute a partnership, then the only thing that changes is what? Is a is a is a almost like a partnership is a tax shelter for Meiser Behema. So right, you don't have to pay Meiser Behema from a partnership. And again, that's just based on the pasuk that the Torah phrases Meiser Behema in the singular, and therefore jointly owned property is not subject to Meiser Behema, but is subject to Kalbom. Fine, says the Gemara. Says the Gemara, Rabbi Ba, Bishim Rabbi Abba Barafunahi, Shnei Achim Sheyarshu Esavihen. So two brothers that inherited their father, they're like Hishne Gisin Sheyarshu Chamehen. They're like two sons-in-law that inherited their father-in-law. What does it mean, both say? They're just like two sons-in-law that inherited their father-in-law. There's no relationship there. There's no relationship, meaning there's no familial. There's there's, a, there's an extended relationship, but there's no blood relative relationship. So so too, even when two brothers go ahead and inherit their father. With they, when they dissolve the estate and bless you, and then reconstitute a partnership, they are just like two strangers who entered into a partnership. Meaning, there's nothing different about two brothers who create a partnership based on estate property than strangers who create a partnership with each other. The only unique, the only, the only unique aspect of it is when they first inherit. But once they divide, dissolve the estate, reconstitute a new partnership, it doesn't make a difference that they're brothers with their father's property. They're no different than anyone else. Then I've also now the Gemara goes full circle. Now the, and some of you asked this yesterday. Where did the Kablon, where, where did Kalbon go? Where did Kalbon go? Meaning, what, what, was the, what was Kalbon used for? So you remember, Rabbi saying, one of the reasons we didn't have to address this yesterday is because of the opinion of Rabbi Meir. What did Rabbi Meir say? Good. What Rabbi Meir said was, <laughs> we did a lesson 24 hours ago. Right? It is six Because right? Rabbi, Rabbi Meir was the one who said that the whole point of Kalbon was because our half shekel is not the same weight as the half shekel of the desert. So it doesn't really matter what you mean. It just goes into the pot. It goes into the same pot. His whole chap was, remember, what did God say to Moshe Rabbeinu? Zayitnu. Zay, I know you're just you're all very humble. Zayitnu. Zay, zay Right? He, Moshe, was saying, Moshe Rabbeinu, you have to give this exact half shekel. So Rabbi Meir said the Kalbon was there to just help bolster the weight of the Mishnaic half shekel. But not, not everybody agrees with that. So according, if you don't agree with that, so then what is Kalbon going for? So listen to this. So this is very interesting. Le'echan, Le'echan, as well says, you've seen already, part of the difficulty in Yerushalmi is that they had a different way of speaking. So Le'echan is Le'echan. Lehechan, where did it bless you? Where did it go? Lehechan hayu akalbanos noflim. Rabbi Meir kalbanos. Rabbi Meir Omer l'shkalim. Rabbi Meir says, I don't understand what's the big deal. It was part of shkalim. It was part of shkalim. Now both sides. Look at look what the Tiklin Charitin says. Tiklin Charitin. Rabbi Meir Omer l'shkalim. Rabbi Meir l'tamei da Omer leel kishem sheshiklo Torah kach kalbanot Torah. So Rabbi Meir is one who says, what's the kasha? It goes into the same path with everything else. Because remember, Rabbi Meir is one who says that the kalbon is there to make sure that Mishnaic shekel is the same thing as biblical shekel. But listen to this. It's very interesting. Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Lezer says, l'nedava. It actually goes l'nedava. And I will say, what's l'nedava? There was a different path. There was a different path. If you remember again, we actually learned already back in our Pesachim days that there's something called Ketzam Mizbeach. Ketzam Mizbeach literally means like the dessert for the Mizbeach. The Mizbeach was never supposed to be idle. So what happens? 
it's hard to imagine that there were ever times when there were not carbonos being offered. But if there, if for some reason there weren't, there was like a there was a carbon fund. So if for some reason the car, the base the the the, the was dormant, the kohanim would go and they would take another animal and offer it up on the carbon. The money for that animal came from a nadava fund. Now we'll see. Interestingly enough, what funded the nadava fund? It was often leftover shkalim because not all of the half shekels were necessary to fund the communal carbonos throughout the year. So here, Rabbi Lazar says that the kalbon goes into the nadava fund. Next, Rabbi Shimon Shizuri Omer, somebody, somebody mentioned this yesterday, actually not this one, Rabbi Shimon Shizuri Omer, Rikui Zahav V'tzipui Lebeis Kodesh HaKadoshim. You know what it was used for? Well, it's very interesting. We know that the outer Mizbeach, excuse me, the inner Mizbeach was a gold Mizbeach. Um, gold plating sometimes has to be replaced. The inside of the Kodesh HaKadoshim was also made of gold plating. So some say that this money was used that if gold plating had to be replaced, this would support, this would, this would be the funds for the gold plating. Okay. Ben Azay Omer, Shulchanin Hayu Nolten Osen Bescharan. Ben Azay says this was actually the fee for the money changers. Because remember again, remember again, we spoke about yesterday, these money changers are deployed throughout the land. And as much as I'm sure, again, they're going to do it at reduced rates, you have to give them something. So this, because remember again, this is going on for a while. So, so the, their fee was, the, they got a cowbone fee from every transaction. Others say, no, 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 it wasn't the fee as much as it was to pay for their expenses. Because again, a shulchani often, a money changer often had to travel somewhere else. So, so you took care of the travel expenses. So we're talking about the money changes who got paid for the, for the No, 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 for the half shekel. For the half shekel. People would come with larger denominations of coins and they'd have to get the half shekel. Hadrin aloch, be'ech perek, be'ech ba'adr. We'll say, mazel tov, our first perek. Says the, says the Mishnah, halacha alif. Okay, that was a quick celebration. Says the Mishnah, mitzarfin shkalim lidarkonos mipnei masoy haderch. Now we're going to get into a little bit more of the logistics. This is quite fascinating as well. So imagine the following scene. Remember, we spoke about the idea that shulchanios, these money changers, were deployed all across the land. So now you're, you're, set, up in, uh, you're set up in Tel Aviv, and what happens? Now somebody's got to take the coins from Tel Aviv to the Beis Hamikdash. So what the Mishnah now says is something very interesting. They were permitted to go ahead and exchange the half shekel coins for larger denomination coins. So for example, so for example, this Darkonos, each Darkon was made up of two sela. Each sela is made up of two shekel. So ultimately, again, each Darkon is eight shekel. Is eight shekel. Did I say that? Four shekel, excuse me. Right, correct, correct. Each dark each dark one is two sella. Each sella is two shekel. Four shekel, thank you. Four shekel. So you could cut down, you could obviously cut down significantly the amount of coins you actually have to carry with you. In order to lighten the load. So we'll say we'll see. Shofros actually means a collection box. We'll discuss exa- exactly why they called the collection box a shofar. We'll get into that. But the same way, actually, already take a look at the Tiklan Charitin. He says, We are shofros. Tevos shepihen sar lemalo umarchi vaholich kein shofar kadesh lo yuchlu lito meklum mehem klum vayo omdim baazara vechol echad maybe shiklov and osim. So it's very interesting. They used to make their collection boxes narrow at the top and wide at the bottom. 
Why? Because this way no one could put their hand in and take anything. It also, by the way, it's, it's more than just also not taking anything. We're not, we're not necessarily choshen somebody's going to steal, but we'll see also that for temple purposes, it was very important that there should be even no possibility of misappropriation. So by making the collection boxes small in a way, there's no way that anyone could take anything. So they would put out, so, in a, so by the money changers, they would put out, they would put out these collection boxes. They will put out these collection boxes. Now we'll discuss what those collection boxes were for. So, so we'll say another very interesting case. Listen to this. So imagine the following scene. So we're living, we're living in Tel Aviv. We're living in Tel Aviv, and what happens? We send our half shekel with Ruvain. And what happens? We'll say, listen to this. And Ruvain gets mugged. Ruven gets mugged, right? Mamish, he gets mugged, so all the half shekel are gone. So either, or, or, or he lost, or he lost the half shekel. He went in to get a, I don't know, to get a cup of coffee, and uh, he left, you know, he left the mule running, and he, uh, you know, he went ahead and he, uh, you know, he left the half shekel, so he comes back and it's gone. So what happens? Listen to this. The shayla is, what's the obligation? Who is obligated? So I'll say, listen to this. Remember, we spoke about this idea already in passing a couple of days ago that the, all money had to be in, was supposed to be in by the first of Nisan. But the reality was what? That they never had all money in at the first of Nisan. But what would happen when they would, remember we also pointed out they drew funds three times a year. When they did that first withdrawal, they had in mind for everyone. They had in mind for all of Kaiser, which meant that even if your money was not yet in, you were still included in communal carbonos because withdrawing the money was behalf of, of all of Klai Yisrael. We know your money is going to get there, so we are proactively drawing on your account, even though your money is not in there. So says the Mishnah like this, if they already withdrew money from the temple funds for communal service, for communal sacrifices, in that case, I will say, then that's already, that's already based on Mikdash money that was lost. That's really basically make this money. If that's the case, nishbain legizbarin. Then on both sides, the Ruvain, Ruvain, who is again the messenger, has to swear the Gizbar, we'll talk about him extensively, is essentially the temple CFO, right? He's the temple treasurer. So he so the messenger has to swear to the Gizbar that what? That he in no way misappropriated or was not negligent with the money. The Imlav. And if not, if not means if they did not yet do with the withdrawal. Like, let's say, for example, when did we say, when did the withdrawal occur? The withdrawal occurred, remember, 15 days before each yontif. 15 days before each regal. So let's say now it's uh, the day before Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So the, no money has yet been withdrawn from temple treasury. In that case, then who does that money really belong to? That money belongs to us, the people of Tel Aviv who sent him. Because again, it's not consecrated yet. Then Reuven the messenger has to swear to the members of the town whose money he was taking. That again, he did not steal the money or was not negligent with the money. And in that case... And I will say, what has to happen in that case? We have to give half shekel again. We have to give half shekel again. See, interestingly enough, if you take a look, if you take a look, um, because ultimately, 
Lemaisa, the first shekels that we gave did not accomplish their goal. They never reached the base of Mikdash. They were never they were never consecrated in any way, and therefore Lemaisa we have to give another half shekel. Sikos Vaiter. The Elu excuse me, Nimtsu Oshek Zimaganavim. Let's say again, they find the lost Shkalim, or the thieves have a change of heart and return the stolen Shkalim. So now I will say again, in this case now, remember we've pledged a second shekel already. So now what happens? So let's talocha. Both are considered to be half shekels, but very interesting, but yet we'll see that the recovered shkalim, the recovered shkalim, you can't credit them. You have to give them to the Beis HaMikdash, but you can't credit them, bless you, towards next year's payment. So we'll discuss what you ultimately do with them. So it says the Gimara, V'yasu osam margolios. So here's, so going back to the first statement of Mishnah. So the Mishnah said that Lemaisa, we allow you to go ahead and turn, essentially convert the shkalim into larger denominations of, of coins in order to lighten low. So the Gemara have a better idea. Why don't you convert them into jewels, into gems? Right? Margolios means like literally precious stones. Because let's say, imagine, you could go ahead and convert all of the shkalim of a town on a diamond. On one diamond, for argument's sake. And that's certainly much easier to transport than a sack of coins. So the Gemara says, Vyasu also Margolios, bless you. Shamatazah Margolios, you need to have Because what could happen on both sides? Because jewels can depreciate. And because they can depreciate, ultimately the Beis HaMikdash will suffer a loss. Meaning, when I leave Tel Aviv with a diamond, I'm half of the residents of Tel Aviv, the diamond is worth uh, $10,000. And again, by the time I get to Yushnam, it's worth $9,500. So the Mice, again, and who suffered that loss? That's the Beis HaMikdash suffers that loss. So he says, Like we learned later on, the Kulon Niftin Bekasef or Beshavakasef, anything Rabosai that has sanctity that you want to redeem can be redeemed with money or with an item of value. Chutz Mishkalim, with the exception of the half shekel. Vein Poldin Bekalim, you can't, you can't redeem consecrated things with a utensil. And why is that? Out of a concern that Rabosai, if you redeem consecrated items with a utensil, what'll happen? The utensil will lose its value, and Rabbi say, who suffers the loss? The Beis HaMikdash suffers its loss. Well, so just you should know, happens to be, it's a very interesting halachic discussion in terms of investing, let's say, let's say you have for Jewish organization, in terms of investing money in different financial instruments, right? It's a fascinating discussion in terms of how much risk is one permitted to take with consecrated funds. Let's say I have a, let's say I have a, I have a Jewish organization and I have $100,000. Am I permitted to go ahead and make a risky investment that on one hand can have an incredible payoff, but on the other hand, could leave my investment less, which then, and remember, if my investment is less, I have essentially lost Mo'osantish, consecrated money. So not for today, but it's just interesting to see that even in times of the Mishnah, they're, they're struggling with that same issue. So the Gemara goes weiter. Uf hacha, uf hacha nami, so too over here, uf means, uf means like, like, so too, uf. Get out of your vocabulary. Uf. So to over here, even though it certainly would be much easier for transport to go ahead and redeem the, or transfer the sanctity of the half shekels onto a jewel, because of the concern of depreciation, therefore, because of that, so, the, so too we don't, we, don't, we don't do it. So we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll redeem the half shekels onto larger denominations of coins, but not onto jewels, not onto utensils. Down to anything with its possibility of depreciation. Masnisa, 
Betiklin Chadetin. Now, well, so now you see, by the way, where the parish gets its name from. Our Mishnah is talking about Nushkalim. Aval Tiklin Atikin Lo. But Old Shkalim Nat. Now, what does this mean? Take, take a look at Take a look at the Tiklin Chadetin. So what is it? Masnisin, Diktani Shahayu Shofros Bimedina, Dafka Litiklin Chadetin. I will say, when the Mishnah said before that they set up these collection boxes all across them, wherever there was a Shulchani, that was for Nushkalim. Now, what are Nushkalim? Dahindu Lushkalim Shoshana Haba. Shkalim for the coming year. Avala Tiklin Atikin. But I will say, here's what's interesting. What inevitably happened? People forgot to contribute their, their past half Shkalim. They just forgot. So what would happen? Often, so now let's say I'm coming, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be Tav Shanai in Dalit. I'm coming on the 15th of Adar to contribute my, my half shekel for the 5774 year. And I realize, you know, I never gave one for 5773. So what am I going to do? I'm going to give my past half shekel also. That's called Tiklin Atikin. That's called an old shekel. So we'll say we will see that if you did not pay last year's shekel, you still have to contribute it, but in order to contribute that, where do you have to go? You have to go to the Beis HaMikdash. That you can't, con- so the, even though they had collection boxes, collection boxes were only for new shkalim. For old shkalim, you had to go to the Beis HaMikdash itself. So the Gemara says, for, tic, for old shkalim, you cannot use the collection boxes. The tani kein atikin, tani kein, we learned this as well, atikin b'mikdash, ve'en atikin b'medina. You could contribute old shkalim in the base. I mean, again, old shkalim is, is not a statement about the quality of the coin. But remember, it's a statement of last year's, that you could contribute last year's shekel in the base. I mean, but not in the Medina. Now, I'll say, now the Gemara says something very interesting. Masnisin b'shomer chinam. Now, remember again, I'll say, what did the Mishnah say? The Mishnah talked about the shomer who lost the Shomer who lost the Shkalim on the way to the Beis HaMikdash. So what the Mishnah seemed to indicate is what? The, that the only variable is, has the, has the, has the Beis HaMikdash withdrawn money yet for the Karbanos? Because that will determine who the Shomer has to take an oath to. But here's what's interesting, which is, there's no discussion about the Shomer being Chayiv for anything. And I will say what the, what the Mishnah is describing, again, we, we're familiar with this concept of Shomrim. So there's a Shomer Chinam and a Shomer Sachar. A Shomer Chinam is an unpaid custodian. Shomer Sachar is a paid custodian. A Shomer Chinam, a Shomer Chinam is pretty, uh, an unpaid custodian is potter for everything except Pshia, except for negligence. If he's negligent, then he's Chayiv for that. A Shomer Sachar, on the other way, a paid custodian is Chayiv for pretty much everything, with the exception of Ones, with the exception of some some um, unavoidable circumstances. So the Gemara therefore says, Masnisin b'shomer chinam. It must say, the Mishnah is talking about a shomer chinam, about b'shomer sachar, but with a shomer sachar, pay custodian, lo, lo b'da. The Mishnah would not be true, why about that? Because with a shomer sachar, he would be obligated, if he left, you know, if, if it got stolen from him, let me say, he would be chayif to go ahead and compensate. Again, it depends on who he has to compensate. Does he have to compensate the Beis Hamikdash? Does he have to compensate the townspeople? Amr Abba, Abba, Abba says, not necessarily, but I feel the term What's the case? Because the Mishnah talks about the items being stolen. How was it stolen? Through armed robbers. Narabosai, getting, getting held up by armed robbers is considered to be an ones. That's, there's no way for me to prevent that. That's, I can't fight back. Nothing I could do. That, that's extenuating circumstances. Even if I'm a paid custodian, I would still be exempt from liability in that case. Or Avdu, the case of where I lost, it could be where. Like where my boat sunk. That's Ones, obviously. So the point the Gemara is just making is the Mishnah could be understood as talking about a Shomer Chinam or a Shomer Sachar. Amrab Yusti. 
Barab Simon. Barab Simon. Asik command the armor torment ala gavoi, vala asiligvos. The Mishnah clearly reflects the view that when they withdraw money from the treasury, they withdraw it with the intent to cover though that which will be collected in the future as well. Meaning, I will say again, the fact that I am included in that first withdrawal, even though what? Even though my money has not yet reached the base amikdash, indicates that when they withdraw money, it's done on those who have contributed and with the attention for those who will contribute. Baram kemanda amar ein torim lo ala gavoi lo ala giboi ve ala asid lagavos lo bida. But obviously, our Mishnah does not work according to the opinion. It says that no, when they withdraw money, it's only done for those who have actually contributed. So we'll say we'll see this machlokis a little bit later on. But the Mishnah clearly reflects one of the opinions, namely that when they do the withdrawal, it's done on behalf of everyone, both those who have already made their contribution and those who have not yet made their contribution. Now we'll say, here's what's interesting. So what, what, what does Rebbe Lozer say? Rebbe Lozer says, actually Rebbe Shimon says, if you, if you take a look at the last line of the Tiklin Charitin, to Rebbe Shimon, he, he says, Hadisnan b'masnisin, Normally we have a rule when it comes to Shavuah is that we don't take Shavuos regarding consecrated properties. We'll discuss where that concept comes from, but right now we'll just take it as a statement of fact that you don't take a Shavuah about, about consecrated properties. And yet here what's happening in the Mishnah, clearly the Shomer is taking Shavuos on consecrated property. So this must reflect the view of Reb Shimon. And Reb Shimon says that when you have consecrated items that you are chayiv for achrayis, that you're chayiv, you are responsible for them, then lemaisa you are able to go out and take a shavua for them. So even though it's consecrated, but since I'm responsible for it, in this case again, I'm responsible for it until it reaches the actual base amikdash, therefore I can take a shavua on that, even though we don't normally take a shavua by consecrated property. That's one possibility. Rabbi Yochanan says, no. You know what's happening over here? This is a rabbinic shvua. This is not a biblical shvua that the Shomer is taking. It's a biblical, it's, it's a rabbinic shvua. And why is it a, why is it a rabbinic? Because biblically, you wouldn't take a shvua. Why? Because we don't take a shvua on consecrated property. But rabbinically, there is a shvua. Why? Because we want the Shomer to take his job seriously. Uh, 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 so the Gemara says the following. Uh, so according to Rabbi Yochanan, it makes sense why the Shomer would take a Shavuot to the Gizbar. Remember, I will say that's the case where the withdrawal already occurred. So I understand why he's going to take a Shavuot to the Gizbar. And if the money has not yet been withdrawn, I understand that because according to Rabbi Yochanan, it's what we call Shavuot Stakana. It's a rabbinic Shavuot because the, the Shomer has to know that if something happens to the money, he's going to have to take a Shavuot to someone. However, and Bnei the people of the city, will have to go ahead and separate out another chazi shekel. Mishum shvuas takana. And I will say, why is that? Ultimately, again, it's a rabbinic shvua. Elul Rabbi Lazer nishpo elim Bnei Ha'ir hadohi. 
the Rabbi Shimon. So I okay. According to Rabbi Lazer, Rabbi Lazer is the one who quoted Rabbi Shimon before, and Rabbi Shimon was the one who said what Rabbi say that even though you don't normally take a shvua on on consecrated property, so this case is a little bit different. Why? Because you and you're responsible for the property until the property reaches the hands of the Beis Hamikdash. So I understand why he'd have to go ahead and take a shvua to the townspeople because in that case, Lemaisa, in that case, Lemaisa, there's a chiv achrayis of the townspeople until when? Until the money either reaches the base of English or withdrawal is made. However, but why would there ever be a case of, why, of where you'd be making a shvua to the gizbar? Right? You will say, what do the gizbar have to do with this? Why would the, why would the shvua be making a shvua to the gizbar? Oh, which the Iran says, no, no, what it means is, what it means, Rabbi say is that if the shomer lost the money or the money was stolen, after the withdrawal occurred, then the shomer would have to take a shvua to the townspeople in the presence of the gizbarin. So the gizbarin would come to the town and the shomer would take a shvua in front of them, in front of everyone. In order that what? In order that no one should suspect the shomer. Because we'll say, again, you could easily start a very significant racket over here. Right? You could go ahead and essentially hijack, hijack the money on the way to the base Hamikdash. So you have to, the person has to know that that if something happens to the money, he's taking a shvur to everyone. The gizbar is going to be, the people are going to be there. Furthermore, Ina, I mean, another possibility is the The other possibility is that ultimately we don't want anyone to think that this individual is a poshea, that he's negligent. Furthermore, and interestingly enough, one other reason, and this, this is quite interesting as well, which is that perhaps the other possibility is that hektish itself, in hektish yotzei below shvua, that ultimately whenever it comes to hektish, you're always going to require another shvua on that as well. So apparently the Gemara is giving three different answers, which is two of them are pretty much similar, which is that we want, we don't want, the, we want to make sure that the shliach is an upright and honest individual. But also you have to understand something, shvua is pretty significant. Shvua requires a Sefer Torah, shvua requires taking the name of God, so it, it's a pretty significant step in Chazal often felt there would be a deterrent against against sinful behavior, especially if you're getting the people there, the gizbar there. Furthermore, the other possibility is that any time that you're dealing with hektish, there's no transference of hektish without a shvua. Okay, says the Gemara, weiter. Hifrish shiklo va'avad. And I will say another interesting case. So this is now not a case of where the, of where the shomer lost the, lost the shekel, but something else. This is where I separated my shekel and I lost it. I lost it. I misplaced my shekel. Hifrish shiklo va'avad. So I separated out my half shekel and I lost my shekel. Now I will say, look at the tiklin charetin for just a moment. Tiklin charetin writes, va'avad. Now, when did I lose it? I lost it before the withdrawal was made in the base Hamikdash. And others say that it's not true even after, even after the withdrawal was made. So you'll see why that makes a difference in just a moment. So here for Shiklova Avad. I lost, I, I separated my half shekel. And I lost it. I, you know, I, it's in my house. I, I, but I, I lost it. I mean, that's not in my house. I, I lost it. So Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says, listen to this. Rabbi Yochanan says, I am chayiv for that to have shekel, for that responsibility, that have shekel until when? Until it reaches the hands of the Beis HaMikdash. 
That's it. So it's my responsibility until it gets to be something to stand for if anything happens. So I have to replace it. Reb Shimon Lakish, Reb Shimon Lakish, Lakish says, listen to this. Hekdish Bershus Kavoa, Bechol Makum Shu. Reish Lakish says, no. Literally, something that is consecrated belongs to the Beis any place it may be. Look, look, look at the Tiklin Charitin for just a moment. We'll say, Rish Lakish makes a fascinating statement. Rish Lakish says that when I consecrate something, essentially what happens? The item is no longer mine. It belongs to the Beis which means that when I lost it, who really lost the half shekel? Beis it's not, it's not mine. It's not mine. It belongs to the Beis wherever it may be. And interestingly enough, according to Rish Lakish, this would be true even if I lost it before the first withdrawal in the Beis HaMikdash. He goes on. So the Gemara says, The Mishnah argues on Rish Lakish, because what is the Mishnah saying? And I will say, what did our Mishnah say? I will say, in a case where the Shomer lost the, the city's half shkalim. And what happens? It was before the first withdrawal was made. So what did the Mishnah say? The Shaliach has to take an oath to the members of the city that he didn't misappropriate or steal it. And what? And they have to make up for it. They have to pay a second shekel. So what do you see from there? You see from there that it really is your half shekel until when? One of two things. Either until it reaches the base of Mikdash or at least until they do the withdrawal. So the Gemara, I'm sorry, it's really a question. Could it be? Could it be ultimately that the nature of that, that the reason for this is because of shvuas takana? Now take take a look at take a look at the tiklin charetin for just a moment. He says kolomar kimolamalo de shvuas hashlech mishum takana hachenami tashlumen debnei ha'ir. Nami mishum takana kedei sheyehei habaylim nisharn b'shmirasan. Also, the Gemara makes a very interesting suggestion. The Gemara makes a suggestion that maybe when the Mishnah obligates the townspeople to pay again, it's not really because they have to pay again. But just like we make the Shomer take a shvua in order to make him vigilant with his shlichus, so why do we make the people pay again? that people should be vigilant with the half shekel. Next time, make sure to trust someone else. Next time, maybe you should drop it off somewhere else. Meaning, so therefore, what we're suggesting is maybe once you give your half shekel, you're done. You're done. That's the base of this property. But rabbinically, if your shekel never reached the base of Mikdash, or if your shekel was lost before the first withdrawal, the rabbi said that what? You have to contribute again in order to teach people a vigilance vis-a-vis the... Half shekel. Finish up the finish up the tikkun charetin. However, again, if the truma is already taken, kevan de kail. Actually, we'll, we'll leave the rest. Fine. So it says the gemara. Says the gemara. Tani harishonim nofelin the tikkun charetin. Hashniim nofelin the tikkun atikin. And I will say, remember the last case in the mishnah was where let's say you found. So now remember, my 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 first half shekel was lost. My first half shekel was lost. And again, let's assume for a moment it took, that took place before the withdrawal in the base of Mikdash. So the Mishnah told me I have to go ahead and give another half shekel. We've now established that Lamaisa, I don't really have to give another half shekel, but rabbinically I'm obligated to. Fine. Then what happens? They find my first half shekel. So what, is, what does the Gemara say? The Gemara says, Tony, the first shekel is used for this year's shekel. And the, on the other shekel, the second shekel, is used in the old shekel collection. As he pointed out before, whatever we're going to use the old shekel for, we'll discuss. Now what's the shekel of Ozai? 
which one is the first one and which one is the second one? Says the Gemara, Eluhein Rishonim, the Eluhein Shnim, which is considered to be Shekel 1, which is considered to be Shekel 2. Rabbi Pinchas, Rabbi Pinchas, Rabbi Abba, Mari, Chad Amar, Elu Sheshalchu Bnei Ha'ir One opinion said, you know what the first shekel is? The first shekel is the chronological first shekel. Right? So again, therefore, the first one I sent out, the first one I sent out that was, that was lost or that was stolen, that shekel goes towards this year's pot. And then the second one that I gave as a makeup, that'll go to the Tiklin Atikin. That'll go to the old pot. However, however, V'charna Amrcharna said, no, the definition of shekel one is what Rabosai. The definition of shekel one is which everyone reached the base of Mikdash first. That's called shekel one. That's one that's going to go for this year's collection. And the second one will ultimately what? The second one will ultimately use for tikkun atik, and that'll go into the old shekel pot. Rabosai, that that the opinion is going to go like the second one because the logistical nightmare that the first one wouldn't that what that would mean is now. Well, I mean, it's not such a crazy logistical nightmare. I don't actually have to go back. And get by exact. I'm sorry. That's okay. Meaning, at the end of the day, there's still going to be a half shekel there. Right, but if you if you gave the second one, if you gave the second one, the second one counts, and then you sent in the first one, and you're putting the first one in that original. No, then you take out the first. You're oh, you're you're only going to have one in the pot. Right. There's only going to be one in the new shekel pot, and one's going to go in the old shekel pot. The question question is, which one is going where? Well, I'm sorry. Flip the shekel. All right. So says the, says the Mishnah. So let's listen to this. Now we're going to talk about shekel misappropriation. Shekel schemes over here. So says, so says the Mishnah. So I, I give my shekel to my friend to give on my behalf for my half shekel obligation. And what happens? And what happens? I know saying shekel ayado, ayade atzmo. And what happens? He uses it for himself. So he uses my half shekel to satisfy his obligation. So we'll say now what's the shayla is what what's what happens. If Rabosai, if the money, if the withdrawal has already been made, the first withdrawal has already been made at the time when he contributed the shekel, then in essence he's committed mi'ilah. Why Rabosai? Because remember, what have we already established? When the first withdrawal is made, remember that first withdrawal is made on behalf of who? Of everyone who actually has contributed and will contribute, which means that what occurs to all half shekelim at the time of the first withdrawal, they all become consecrated, which means that when my friend, my, my ex-friend, Reuven goes ahead and contributes that half shekel that was mine, but I was contributing it on his behalf, he is actually misappropriating consecrated funds, which means that he has committed mi'ilah. Hashokel shiklo mina hektish. Similarly, if one goes ahead and takes a shekel of hektish, right? We'll say another interesting case. If I took a shekel that was already consecrated, half shekel that was already consecrated, and I gave it on my behalf. Now, obviously, I'm not allowed to do that, but I gave it on my behalf, and then what happens? The withdrawal was made. An animal was bought with those funds. When the animal is bought, at that point in time, I have committed mi'ila. So mi'ila is not committed at the time of contribution, but rather mi'ila is committed at the time when there's an actual offering that is offered. He goes, he goes on, Maestro Shani, if you go ahead and you used money, if you used a half shekel of Meiser Shani or a half shekel of Shvius money, which means Shemitah produce, in those cases, Yochal Kenegdan. We'll discuss what Yochal Kenegdan literally means. You have to eat a corresponding amount. We'll, we'll discuss exactly what that means. I will say, take a look for just a moment. 
take a look for just a moment at the Tiklin Charetin Mina Hekdish Shahaya Biyado Maos Shehekdish Lavedek Abayis. I had in my I had in my hand money that I consecrated to the base of Mikdash. Ukesaver Shem Shalchulin. I thought that they were chulin, unconsecrated. Veshaklo Mehen Shkalo. Venitshamat Shuma. Vekanabehem Baosat Shuma. Vikrivua As Nischayva Shokel Karban Meila. Aval Kodem Lachin Lo Maol Lefishein Meila Ela Bemotzi Mina Hekdish Lachulin. So both say we'll see why this is that interestingly enough in the case where I contributed an already consecrated coin Lemaisa again there's no me'ila until an actual animal is brought and offered on my behalf the reason for that is is because me'ila only takes place when you take something that is consecrated and use it for something mundane so for but however to take something that's consecrated and transfer it to another state of consecration that's not called me'ila but when that money is used to purchase an animal for my purposes meaning in this case my stake in communal carbonos that is Meila. Says the Gemara. Hashokel, Anantaninon, we learned, Im Kirvaha Behema, Vitani Debe Rebbe, Im Nitrama Hatshuma. Sintra enough, the Gemara. Look at, Rabbi, look at, look at the Tikkun Chadatin again. Anantanan, Beresha, Nitrama Chuma, Demashma, Demal Takev, Afshalo Kirva. Vitani Rebbe, Debraisa, Gambaresha, Vikirva. So, also interesting enough, if you remember again the way the Mishnah reads, is that Ruvain stole my shackle. I mean, I gave it to him to give on my behalf. When he shows the base of Mikdash, he gives it on his behalf. So, what did the Mishnah say? If, the, if they already made the withdrawal in the base of Mikdash, then Lamaisi has committed Meila. So, the Gemara just says, Anantaninon, Im Kirva Habehema. Interesting enough, one version of this Mishnah is that the only time Ruvain goes in and commits Meila is when? Is if they literally already they would buy a carbon. When they would buy a carbon and then sacrifice an animal on his behalf, that's when he commits me'ilah. Uh, others say, time to be Rebbe, im nitshama like we have in our Mishnah. They both say, skip the parentheses. Man tana im nitshama Who is the opinion who holds? Who is the opinion who holds that lemaisa Ruvain is chayev in me'ilah as soon as the withdrawal is made? I also remember again one more time, only because we have another, only a couple more moments. Understand what the Mishnah was expressing is a fascinating idea, which is that I gave my shekel to Ruvain to give to my behalf. Ruvain, Ruvain instead contributes it on his own behalf. So what did the Mishnah say? If the withdrawal of Shkal, and the first withdrawal was already made, then the shekel that Ruvain has in his hand is already consecrated, which then means that when he misappropriates it, he is committing Me'ilah. So who is the opinion who says that as soon as they make the first withdrawal, that all of the Shkalim are already consecrated? So the Gemara says, that's Rabbi Shimon. Don't Rabbi Shimon, Miyad Haya Mikaba Ma'osav, Va'akohanim's reason hain, because ultimately they would go ahead and, if, if you take a look at the Tiklin Charetin, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says, Besof Tvar Um No, that's, um, I forgot what the Rashi table says. It'll come to me in just a moment. Be- all right, it'll come to me. Miyat hayim mekabel maosav hamesape karbanos hayim mekabel hamaos miyat nimtza takev kishenitrama naasei kachim isvech. So we'll say what the Gemara is describing over here is as soon as they would do the withdrawal, they would immediately purchase sacrificial items. So that's the pshat, meaning there was no real lag time between the actual withdrawal of the monies and the actual purchase of sacrificial items. So the Gemara says, and that's and also what the Gemara is just explaining is that's why immediately after the first withdrawal, all of the half shekels, both those which have been collected and those which have not yet been collected, are immediately consecrated. He says, Vikashya. And I will say again, there seems to be a kasha, again, against the first case in the Mishnah. 
If somebody were to steal the Ola of his friend, and he were to shecht it stam without any in, in, intention, so the Gemara says, stama lo harishonim. Excuse me, stama stama lo without intent for the first owners. Yet it would still work. So also we see from here that lemaisa, when something is consecrated for a particular individual, that consecration remains. Amr Oh, what's the case over here? The case over here is where the shekel that's being contributed is uniquely defined. If you take a look at the Tikkun Charetin, it's the second wide line. It says, mm-hmm. I'm giving a specific shekel, and my intention is that it should go for the base Hamikdash. For example, he says, "Mishal base Rabbi Gamliel shayim miskaven v'dochvo lebeis chupa." Lesochakupa. But I'll say we'll see this later on. That lemaisa, what they used to do in Rabbi Gamliel's in Rabbi Gamliel's home is they wanted to make sure that their shekel would actually be taken. Because remember, there are a lot of people who contribute shkalim and their shkalim remain in the pot. In Rabbi Gamliel's home, they wanted to make sure that their shekel would actually be withdrawn. So they had, so they waited to go ahead and actually contribute to half shekel until the treasurer was emptying out the collection. Collection boxes, and what they would do is they would actually toss their half shagel right in front of the treasure, so it, it would just automatically get swooped in to the actual withdrawal. The chashlomar because otherwise one is one would be concerned that perhaps the half shekel would go into the shrine, the leftover pot. And is there meila with shirayim? Elder Kavim Meir, rather it's reflective of Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir says molen b'shirayim that there is meila even with the leftover funds. So the Gemara says oti b'mesuyam shabes Rabbi Gamliel kishay miskaven v'tarmal lushmo. So I will say the key over here must be where the ma'isa again the individual Ruvain who has gone ahead and hijacked my shekel he has in mind dafka to give this particular shekel to. To the to the base hamikdash as his half shekel obligation, and therefore Lemaisa, reflecting the view of Rabbi Shimon, who holds that once the first withdrawal has been made, all of the shkalim become consecrated. Therefore, again, not only have not, I not fulfilled my obligation, obviously, but he has committed meila. So the Gemara says the following: The Gemara goes weiter. Manana, manana. So if you take a look over here, so the Gemara says the following: If you donated, if you donated a shekel that was already kodesh, then in reality, what have you benefited? We'll say, so what the Imam is really asking is, why is it that Reuven has committed Mi'ilah? In reality, he hasn't done anything because he's, he's, he has essentially given something that is already consecrated. Imam says, no, I'll tell you why, because why? He has benefited how? Because remember, Bosa, going back, what did we learn? That if you don't contribute to half shekel, what would Bezdin do? They would seize property from you to get you to, see, to give the half shekel. Now that he is given the appearance that he's given half shekel, even though he hasn't, he stole my half shekel. But now what? He saved himself from having any collateral taken. That in and of itself is a benefit, which would make him chayiv in mi'ilah. Vaiter, ach bechar. So we'll say, what does the Torah say? That by Maeser Sheni, by Maeser Sheni, anything that is, or actually it's not just Maeser Sheni, it's Bukhar Behema also. See, he says the following. He says, If you have a Behemas Bukhar, an animal, firstborn animal, so what happens? A person can consecrate it for another sacrificial purpose. Why? Well, say, because once it's a Bukhar, it's already Kodesh. What do we see from here? Koshu Kodesh in Kedusha Chala Alav. Rebel says, it's very interesting. Once something already has a consecrated status, you cannot confer another consecrated 
elevated status on top of it. Where do we see that from? The Torah says that if you have a Bechar animal, firstborn animal is called, it belongs to the Kohen, belongs to the Kohen. I can't choose to what? To make that animal a carbon or to make that animal hectic for something else because once it's Kodesh, so we see from the Rabosai that once you have a state of Kedusha on a particular object, you cannot confer another state. That's why if you have money that's already Meister Shani, what can't you do with it? You can't use it for half shekel. Why? Because once it's Meister Shani or it has a state of Kedusha, you can't confer another state of Kedusha on top of it. So the Gemara says, Ketorosa, so what should you do? So I'll say, so now let's say I did. Let's say I set aside this Meister Shani money now as half shekel. So what should I do? Ketorosa, maybe sell a shalchul, and I bring another coin, a chulin coin, a non consecrated coin. This is talking about over here. Let's say I went to the base, I make the shredi. I went to the base, I make the shredi. And what happens? Everybody's, oi vavoi. I, the money that I have, this is my Meister Shani money. So what do I do now? So what do I do now? So the Gemara says the following. Very simple. What you do is, you essentially transfer Meister Shani sanctity onto another coin. Onto another coin. You could go in and take another seller, and what happens? You go and you say, The money of Meister Shani should be redeemed onto this coin, this new coin. And ultimately, again, this seller will be the Meister Shani money. And the remainder money, the original money, ultimately could go ahead and be counted as Shkalim. All right, the both say. Shukoyach. Whew.